Well, good morning and welcome and thank you for joining us in our online service today. My name is Ken Carter. I'm a member of Brighton Road Baptist and I'll be leading us in this worship service. Ian Pinnock, another member of our congregation, will be bringing God's word to us and our minister Tim will be leading us in the celebration of communion a bit later in the service. So you may want to ensure that you have some bread and wine or alternative drink available so that you can join with us together around the Lord's table. You know, it's incredible to believe that we've been producing these online services for seven months now. But despite the lengthy separation, we want to assure all of our church family of our continued love and prayers and support for all of you. We miss you immensely and we very much look forward to the day when we can join together for worship again in our church building. But as an encouragement, can I assure you that whilst we will continue to produce these online services for the foreseeable future, we are taking cautious but active steps to resume worship activities on a small scale within the building, following government guidelines and ensuring the safety and well-being of all visitors to the building. And in fact, as we're broadcasting this service today, we're also conducting a small live service in the church building for families with young children. So as you join us in our worship today, please do pray for that service and for the other activities such as prayer meetings, Bible teaching sessions and communion services that we are carefully introducing to try and return to some form of active church life again in our building. In the CEV Bible translation, the first two verses of Psalm 18 reads, I love you, Lord God, for you make me strong. You are my mighty rock, my fortress, my protector, the rock where I am safe, my shield, my powerful weapon, and my place of shelter. And our opening song echoes those words and invites us to respond in worship, describing the timeless and steadfast nature of God, King of the ages, almighty God, perfect love, ever just and true. Let's worship God together.
Let's pray together, shall we? Loving God, even though physically separated, we thank you for the opportunity of worship, for the gift of technology that allows us to join together as a church family in different locations and perhaps even at different times, and yet united in our desire to meet together with you and to experience the warmth of your embrace in our lives. Thank you that in worship we can put aside the uncertainties of this world and rest upon the certainties of your kingdom. For your promises are not changeable or short-term, but immovable and eternal. Thank you, Lord, that we can bring to your feet all the hurts and fears that trouble us and leave them there, knowing that your strength and assurance are all that we require. Thank you that as we draw near in worship, we are transported from a world of concern and fear to a place where we can be at peace in your presence, where we can find healing and wholeness and refreshment. Thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity of worship this day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, just in case you haven't had a chance to check the latest stock market reports today, here are a few highlights. Steel had another day of heavy trading. Bose continues to be a sound investment. Paper is not yet out of the woods. Elevators are up, pillows are down, IKEA remains flat, and bacon is on a roll. And yes, you're supposed to laugh, or perhaps at least have a wry chuckle. Sometimes I'm intrigued by the language that surrounds the stock market. It's almost as if it's a person with emotions and feelings. Uh, the market is nervous at the prospect of change, or it loves the improved job figures, or it hates uncertainty. And we know how it reacts, sometimes wildly, to the most tenuous rumours causing stocks to plummet or to rise steeply. We hear talk of a volatile market, and yet maybe it's just a reflection of the society we live in today. I don't think any of us has experienced such a period of sustained uncertainty in our lives as we're experiencing now. Struggling already to cope with the coronavirus and with a recession hard on its heels, we as a nation are once again having to turn our attention to the thorny, thorny issue of Brexit. So can I suggest that this is a time to purposefully focus on things that are more solid and more stable? Which I guess begs the question, where can we find the dependable, the individual or structure that stands above the transient vagaries that seem to make up so much of our society today. And of course, you know where I'm going with this, but don't bat it away because it's so simple or because you've heard it all a hundred times before. In Hebrews 13 verse eight, we read, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That doesn't mean that Jesus was boringly even. Absolutely not. He responded to uniquely to the different situations and circumstances in which he found himself, and he showed his emotions, as does God. 
But the aspect that we hold on to in these disturbing days is that he is consistent. He is reliable. Jesus is our rock, our hope. God doesn't oscillate from one view to another. His values don't change because of rumors or circumstances. He's not influenced by external forces, nor is he dependent upon them. Nothing takes him by surprise. What an amazing and wonderful God. And how good it is for us as Christians to have our hope in the one who doesn't change, who is consistent in all things, and in the words of our next song, is the only true hope for all the nations on earth. So let's continue in our worship as we sing the ne our next song, Jesus, Hope of the Nations. The reading today is taken from Matthew chapter 20, verse 
verses 1 to 16, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them, them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for Denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Thank you, Judas, for reading our scripture passage today. Shall we pray together? Thank you, gracious God, for always giving us much, much more than we can earn or ever deserve. Contrasted with our often calculated way of doing business with one another, your love towards us seems extravagant and unbelievably gracious. Forgive us when we consider all of this to be our right rather than as a gift from you. Forgive us too when we've resented the love that you have shown towards others. Father, you call us to work in your vineyard, to reach out to others in your name, and to bring your healing word, your gentle touch, your embracing love to them. Help us to be good workers, ones that seek the lost in the marketplaces and village squares, ones who are unafraid to see in a stranger the image of Christ, and in a sinner a brother or sister for whom he died and rose again. Empower us as individuals and as a church to be the kind of ambassadors who know and do your will, so that in meeting us, people meet you. Lord, will you hear our prayer this day. Amen. Our next song enables us to praise and thank our Lord for the immeasurable depth of his love for us. It's an old hymn set to a new modern arrangement, and I'm grateful to Marion, Louise, David and Raj for taking the time 
to record it for us. The song is Oh the Deep Deep Love of Jesus. Let's continue in our worship. Good morning. Let's pray. Give thanks to the risen Lord. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ his Son. Lord, we thank you that you hear our prayers. It's not always easy to give thanks in difficult times. And we are living in very difficult times now, not only because of the pandemic, but people all over the world are facing so many difficulties. Dear Lord, we know that you know everything we want to say before it passes our lips, but we bring the world and all its needs to you. We pray for the people of California as they cope with the huge fires now burning, causing loss of lives and homes. Be with them now, we pray. The refugee asylum seekers continue to flee their homes where their lives are in danger so often. We can't really understand the desperation of these people who leave everything behind to find safety in our country and in others. We think of those who are in the huge camp on the island of Lesbos which was decimated by fire this week. 
Although we see just hordes of people fleeing, help us to remember that each person is known and loved by you. And each family has their own story. Be with them now, we pray. We pray for our town, Lord, and think of the number of people affected by the pandemic in, this, in difficult ways. We think particularly of those who have no or very little income as a result of the pandemic and have to rely on charity for basic needs. Be with them now, we pray. We ask you, Lord, to bless our minister and deacons as they find ways to help us to continue to know we are part of the church here in Horsham. And help us all as a church to show the love of God to our friends and neighbours who do not know Jesus as their saviour. And finally, we pray for all those we know who are ill or have been bereaved. We remember especially our friend Dorothy who went to be with her Lord this week. Be with all those who knew her and loved her. We thank you, Lord, for her life and for her joy in her Christian faith, for her sense of fun and her kindness. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Jesus, who himself was once a refugee on earth. On earth. Amen. Thank you, Jan, for leading our prayers. In a few moments, Ian will be bringing God's word to us, focusing on the passage in Matthew's Gospel that Judith read to us earlier, and then Tim will be leading us in the celebration of communion. But first, we're going to sing again. In Ephesians chapter 1, and verses 7 and 8, we read these words. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And our next song expresses the wonder of God's grace and invites us to draw close to him in worship and to commit ourselves to following his will for our lives. What wonder of grace is this?
Good morning. This morning we are looking at the words that Jesus said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first, taken from the parable of the workers of the vineyard. Now, be honest, when you heard the reading of the parable of the vineyard just a few moments ago, did your heart leap for joy? Were you thrilled when you heard that the workers who had toiled and slaved all day long in the hot sun were going to get the same wages as those who had worked only one hour? Now, let's face it. This maybe isn't one of Jesus' most popular parables. The parable runs against the grain of our one, of my, one of our most deeply cherished values, the value of hard work and reward. The more you work, the more productive you are, the more you ought to get paid. Now, I don't know if any of you would disagree with that. And this is the complaint of those who worked all day. You've made them equal to us. The parable provokes one of the most primitive cries of childhood. It's not fair. When one child feels cheated, they scream, but that's not fair. Billy has put only his place in the dishwasher and I have to do mine and the glasses. I hate you. And so that goes on in homes and maybe schools across the country. Some seem to get more than they deserve or are treated differently while others get less. It's just not right. But before we dismiss this parable and put it back on the shelf marked Bible passages not taken seriously, let's consider the possibility that there is a lesson to be learned here. That what's going on in this parable is nothing less than a battle between human desire and God's grace. A battle between our will and God's will. And that even though we say we just want what we deserve, what we want most and need is something far greater. The parable immediately follows Jesus' teaching when he said, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And as we know, that's found in the book of Matthew. And Peter's response to this statement of Jesus was, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Peter and many of the other disciples had followed him from the very beginning. They had made great sacrifices. Peter wondered what their reward would be. It should be more than anyone else, surely. Since like the workers who had laboured at the beginning of the day and borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day, they had been with Jesus from the beginning and borne the heat of controversy surrounding him. Surely they would receive more than the others in the kingdom. And even among the disciples, they were always quibbling and quarrelling about who was first and who was last. But Jesus assured them that their rewards would be for following him. They would see this in the kingdom. The sacrifices they had made for his sake would be returned to them in a hundredfold. Not all rewards will be received in this life. And they were not to work merely for the sake of being rewarded. 
which is a point that maybe we'll pick up later on. But as we go through this sermon, I want to pose you a question. It's one that I often hear from students when discussing the death penalty. Can a murderer go to heaven? Interesting point. Interesting question. Maybe the parable of the vineyard can give us some clues how to answer this. The story begins with a landowner going out at around six in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard at a usual day's wage. Must have been a large vineyard because he returns again at nine in the morning to hire more workers and he returns at noon, three and five o'clock to hire more. Now the typical working day at that time was between 10 to 12 hours. Now working in the vineyard was not easy work, particularly at harvest time in late summer. The grapes had to be picked, often in temperatures in excess or around 100 degrees. And they had to be picked quickly before the bad weather set in. The grape harvest was a hectic and demanding time. These workers were promised to be paid a denarius. Now, quite a generous day's pay at the time, enough to feed the family. So they agreed to this rate, probably with great eagerness. The surprise that Jesus introduces in the story, as he typically does, is that at the end of the day, all men are paid the same wage. But those who had worked 12 hours and those who had worked only one. Now, try to do that today and see what happens. The government and all kinds of human rights groups would come down on you in full force. But it was not much different in Jesus' day. There was an angry outburst from the workers who had worked longer. The Bible says when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who you hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work all day and the heat of the sun. But the landowner said to one of them, friend. I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? What is interesting in this parable is that the workers hired at the beginning of the day had a contract. They and the landowner agreed a definite wage for a day's work. The second group of workers work on an informal agreement and are only told that their pay will be what is right, while the last group only work one hour. And there's no mention of any kind of wage. They're only told that they can work in the vineyard and yet the only group that complains is the group that agreed a certain wage, agreed a contract. They had originally agreed on what they felt was a good wage, but it was not good enough. They wanted to renegotiate. They grumble and accuse the landowner of unfair treatment. 
The point seems to be that these men, although they worked longer and harder than the rest, worked all the time with a bad attitude. They did not love the landowner. They only wanted what was due to them. And then they looked forward to going home. Working with a grateful heart. What was it about those workers who had worked all day that made them so angry when the other workers got paid the same? The first problem was the fact that they were obviously working for pay and not for a sense of purpose or pleasure. And this is a good question we'd all do well to ask. What is it that motivates you to do what you do? Whether you're employed, full-time, part-time, or serve as a volunteer, whether you work in the community or around the house, what motivates you to do what you do? If it's money or recognition or the praise of others, be careful. Most jobs don't pay enough to satisfy a healthy ego. If what you're doing isn't self-satisfying and self-fulfilling, you're likely to harbour resentment and anger about what you're doing. And when someone comes along doing the same job and gets paid more, you're likely to feel resentful as the workers in the parable. Only as you truly enjoy what you're doing will you, not, will you be able to not look over your shoulder and compare your situation with others. A second problem with the disgruntled workers in the parable is that they lacked a healthy sense of gratitude. Can you remember your first job? How thrilled you were to make a few pounds, to have money of your own. I remember my first job, I worked at a local corner shop back in the late 80s and got paid £1.50 an hour. At the end of each shift, shift the shop owner would open the till and hand me the cash. I would take it home and put my money in a pot. And at the end of the week, I would have enough to maybe go to watch a football match. Or, if I'd been brave enough at school, enough to ask a girl out to go on a date that Friday evening. Well, what happens to the sense of excitement as time goes by? If you are not careful, you'll lose your enthusiasm and start to see your work not as a chance to be fulfilled and get ahead, but as a necessary evil to be endured. The more we're grateful for the opportunity to serve and to contribute and work, the less concerned we're likely to be over working conditions or fringe benefits. And something else about gratitude. It keeps you humble. When you stop to consider those less fortunate. You know the old adage, I complained because I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. The same hold true for every level of work. The more you consider how blessed you are, the more you are able to look upon those less fortunate with compassion instead of resentment. When looking into this topic, I came across a play by Timothy Thompson, that some of you may know, based on this parable, in which he depicts two brothers vying for work. John is strong and capable. Philip is just as willing they lost a hand in an accident. When the landowner comes over, John is taken in the first wave of workers and he labours in the field. 
he looks up for the uh, up the lane for some sign of Philip. Other workers are brought to the field, but Philip is not among them. John is grateful to have work, but feels empty, knowing that Philip is just as needy as he. Finally, the last group of workers arrive, and Philip is among them. John is relieved to know that Philip will get at least one hour's worth of work. But as the drama unfolds, and those who came to get paid last are paid a full day's wage, John rejoices, knowing that Philip, his brother, will receive the same money as him. The money to feed his family. When it comes his turn to stand before the landowner and receive his pay, instead of complaining as the others have done, John throws out his hand and says with tears in his eyes, Thank you, my Lord, for what you have done for us today. The point of the parable is not the hard work of the labourers, but the generosity of the landowner. The parable stresses God's unmerited grace, rather than any sense of earning God's favour. In this way, it resembles the parable of the prodigal son. The parable has often been interpreted to mean that those who are converted late in life earn equal rewards, along with those who are converted early, which maybe answers the question that I posed earlier on about the murderer. Could he go to heaven, even if he only asked forgiveness on his deathbed? What did Jesus promise one of the men who was being crucified on his side? What is story had Jesus told about forgiveness? What do you think Jesus' answer to the question would have been? We are not to work for wages. We are to work for the landowner and believe and trust that he will ultimately give us what is right. Amen.
In his first letter, John says, God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. But suppose we walk in the light, just as he is in the light, then we share life with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, makes us pure from all sin. As we come to communion, can I lead you in prayer? Lord, as we emerge from the darkness and come into your light, all the moral muck and grime of our messy lives becomes visible and we feel ashamed of who we are and of what we've done. But thank you that you, you don't turn away from us, you don't point the finger at us, you clean us up, you sort us out, you get us changed and you make us welcome. You give us a seat at your table. So thank you for this bread and for this wine, for everything they say to us about your readiness to give yourself for us by laying down your life, to give yourself to us as our Redeemer and our Lord. Thank you that you lead us out of the darkness of shame and death into the light of your peace and your presence. Amen. I don't know what kind of bread or wine you have to hand, it doesn't have to be anything special. Jesus probably used very ordinary bread and wine that night when he took bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this to remember me. And after they'd eaten, he took a cup of wine and said, this cup is the new relationship with God made possible because of my death. Drink this to remember me. He whom the universe could not contain is present in your bread. Thank you, Jesus. He who has redeemed you and called you by name now meets you in this cup. Thank you, Jesus. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I don't know what guilty secrets may lie buried in your past. In Ephesians, Paul says that once we were dead in our disobedience, but God has brought us to life with Christ and has raised us up with him to rule with him in the heavenly world. In Christ, that is your destiny. Hallelujah. And so we close our worship with a song. There is a higher.
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.